Hello, faithful and patient listeners. This is the For the Love of Film podcast. I am the host, Scott David Chase. Uh, it's been a little while since last time I talked to you. I've been saying that a lot this year, um, not just with this podcast, but my other podcasts as well. Um, I'm sure you're like everybody else in the world and that uh, this has been a strange year. So um, it certainly has for me too, and it's been... Uh, you know, challenging at times to, to create new episodes. Part of it for me was, uh, just, you know, for this one in particular, just getting to the theater was not possible for five months. The theater has been open for just about a month now. And, uh, so I'm going to talk about, uh, six films that I saw in the theater and then three that I saw on home video, uh, in this episode. And we'll see, uh, if, the theater stays open, uh, and it fall go more regularly. I've actually been going to the theater quite a bit, but a lot of the films that I've seen have been classic films. The movie theater near me, which is a Regal theater, has been playing a lot of classic films. And um, because I have the Regal Pass, I've been going to see a lot of them, uh, a few of which I never got to see in the theater, uh, Goonies being one of them. Uh, I got to see two of the three Lord of the Rings films in their extended cuts, which had never been released theatrically, to my knowledge. So, um, I, uh, there, I'll go through the list real quick of what I'm going to talk about today. Um, King of Staten Island, uh, a movie called Stockholm, a uh, documentary about the band Swans called Where Does a Body End, um, Words on Bathroom Walls, the Broken Hearts Gallery, The Personal History of David Copperfield, and then Unhinged, The New Mutants, and Tenet. So um, I'll start with the three that I saw on home video in various forms. Uh, I mean, one of them was streaming, two of them were on DVD. Um, so The King of Staten Island on... Um... Oh, wait, no. It is available on streaming, but I saw that on DVD as well uh, because I wasn't going to pay the large price tag um, to rent it streaming. I believe it was $15 to stream it over 48 hours and uh, didn't have any interest in doing that. But when I saw it on Redbox, I had a free Redbox rental, so I watched it. It's the new Judd Apatow movie. Uh, stars Pete Davidson, and who also co-wrote the film, and it's a... Uh, fictionalized semi-autobiographical story about, you know, a, a mid-twenties uh, man-child who, uh, he's the son of a FDNY firefighter who died in the line of duty. Pete Davidson's father uh, died in the 9-11 attacks, uh, September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center. Uh, in the movie, his father didn't die that way. He died in some other fire which I'm not sure why they chose to change that. The only thing I can think of is they didn't want to have the the heaviness of September 11th factored into the film. So, but he's a you know an adult and um, uh, Maude Apatow, who's Judd Apatow's daughter, plays his younger sister. Uh, Marissa Tomei plays his mother, his ever suffering mother, and then uh, Bill Burr plays um another firefighter who becomes somewhat of a uh 
mentor father figure to him as he's courting his mother, Marissa Tomei. Um, this was slightly better than the other Pete Davidson film I saw a couple months ago, which I don't recall the title of at this point. But it suffers from what all of Judd Apatow's films suffer from, and that it's far too long. It's two hours and 15 minutes, which is actually short for you know, for the last couple of films, but it's an, it's mostly a comedy or I guess it attempts to be. And it just, you know, 90 to a hundred minutes should be the maximum length for that. And Judd Apatow really needs an editor because the last half an hour of this film just goes on and on and really kind of goes nowhere. And, um, you know, Pete Davidson can do a, a decent job as, a dramatic actor, but both the times I've seen him do that, he's playing fictionalized version of himself. So it'd be interesting to see if he could play someone other than, you know, a shiftless, uh, kind of directionless 20 something. Um, having said that it, it, it was, it was better than I expected it to be, but still not an amazing film. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I think Judd Apatow really needs an editor. I would give The King of Staten Island a 6 out of 10. Um, but it is available to view. Uh, so, you know, if you're interested, you can see it in various ways now. Um, I saw a film called Stockholm, which is actually called Capt The Captor in most other countries other than the United States. I wasn't familiar with the story uh, take place in 1973 Stockholm, Sweden um, about a bank robbery. It's actually the bank, the particular bank robbery incident where the term this Stockholm syndrome came from because um, the bank employees that were held captive came to empathize and actually try and protect their captors. Um, uh, I, I rented it cause it's, you know, as Ethan Hawke and Rumi, Numi Rapace, uh, I, I don't know if that's how you say her last name, um, and also Mark Strong in the leads. Um, I really like Ethan Hawke, and I like uh, Numi Rapace. So uh, it, it was definitely better than I expected it to be. It, this was another Redbox rental, so uh, I just, you know, I was like, oh, well, I like Ethan Hawke and most of what he does, uh, even though he does a lot of direct-to-video stuff. He does a lot of indie stuff, and... Um, it's funny because a lot of actors from his generation, like John Cusack first comes to mind, and but also um, Nicolas Cage. Um, Nicolas Cage may be slightly older than them, but um, they, they're they in a lot of direct-to-video movies now, and a lot of them uh, are garbage. But uh, Ethan Hawke tends to have a pretty high barometer for work. So, um, I mean, nothing mind-shattering, but it was a... I don't know. It was kind of like a more realistic uh it, i mean obviously it really happened so it's more realistic but similar in pace to a film from the 90s called killing zoe um with eric stoltz and um uh ethan hawks before sunrise before sunset um co-star god her name is escaping me now she's a french actress so i'm walking over to my dvds to pull out my killing zoe dvd uh uh, Julie Delpy, of course, um, uh, but very similar plot structure, but more realistic, uh, less violent, and uh, 
Yeah, it's you know if you like bank heist true crime films, you could certainly do worse than this. Um, not 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 an amazing film by any means, but it was an interesting story that I wasn't familiar with the the particulars of, and uh, yeah, it, it was I think eighty five minutes, so it went by pretty quickly. But um, I would give I would give Stockholm a seven out of ten. Definitely worth watching if you're. If you want a bank heist film or if you're a fan of Ethan Hawke or Numi Rapace. Um, I then saw an excellent documentary about the band Swans called Where Does a Body End? Which, I, you know, I've been a fan of... Uh, fan is maybe not the right word. I like Swans, but I would say I'm more of an appreciator because uh, they're, a, they're a difficult band to really like per se. Um, they're a challenging band. Um, you know, they started out off as a very caustic industrial band in the eighties and have gone through many different, uh, iterations over the decades. The only constant being uh, vocalist and songwriter, Michael Girard, which funny enough, up until I saw this, uh, this documentary, I had been saying his name wrong for, for, 20 years now, which I had always said Jira, it's G-I-R-A, but, you know, hearing other people, including himself, say his last name, I found out it's pronounced Jira. So, um, it is long, it's about two and a half hours long, it's, you know, this is an extended home video release, and it's something that I purchased sight unseen, um, because other than their music, I've known next to nothing about the band, and there's a, you know, an odd kind of aura and mystery around the band. And it was very revealing, not just if you're a, a fan of Swans, because I know that that's a limited audience for sure, but um, just the creative process, the way artists' relationships can bleed into their artwork and vice versa. Um, it's very candid, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of great interviews with contemporaries and people that he's influenced. And, uh, I mean sort of a bittersweet thing for me. There's a lot of interview footage with, uh, Bill Riflin who had, who passed away this year. Um, uh, but Bill Riflin played with Swans for a while, but it's probably most well known as the drummer for the band ministry for a long time, but then also drummed for REM, uh, in the last decade of their career. So, but, uh, beautifully shot, uh, incredibly well edited, lots of archival footage and, um, just a real great insight into, uh, Michael Girard's creative mind. Um, I give Where Does the Body End an 8 out of 10. Um, certainly one of the best music documentaries I've ever seen. Uh, then, uh, based on the recommendation of my friend Heather, I saw a film called Words on Bathroom Walls, which um, it's, you know, it, it, it was an interesting film that dealt with... Uh, a heavy subject, but done in a somewhat light yet serious way. Uh, it dealt with uh, schizophrenia, and you know the protagonist is a teenager who suffers from it. And um, I don't believe it was based on any true story, but uh, it's certainly well researched uh, as far as um, how the disease 
actually works, not the way Hollywood often depicts it. But, um, you know, having, uh, I have a family member who has, has schizophrenia. So I have, you know, some personal knowledge of it and have, have witnessed it. And, um, you know, it's not played for shocks or for laughs It's dealt with seriously, but it's also intertwined with a, you know, a teenage relationship film. So, um, but also um, dealing with familial bonds and, you know, uh, the young man's uh, relationship with his mother and then his, his mother's boyfriend who, you know, um, will eventually become his stepfather. And I, it was dealt with in a realistic, but also um, compassionate way. So it was, it was nice to see a film like that. Having said that, you know, I wish, you know, because I'm a man in my forties and it's, you know, the, that protagonist is a teenager. Uh, there was, you know, I didn't a hundred percent connect with it, but that's okay. I know it's not the audience that it was primarily made for, but it was certainly uh, much more worthwhile than I expected. Um, and certainly worth watching. Um, it's, it, it deals with, uh, you know, uh, mental, mental illness and, uh, and those struggles in a very realistic way. So um, for that, I definitely applaud it. And um, I'd give words on bathroom walls, a a seven out of 10. Uh, I also saw the broken hearts gallery, which is another film that, you know, took me by surprise. It was one of those ones I had not heard of beforehand. It just opened um, last week. And um, I was sort of just looking for something new, in the theaters because I had seen Tenet three times already and I'm actually going to go see it a fourth time today if that tells you anything. Uh, um, but uh, stars uh, Geraldine uh, I'm trying to sound this out sorry, Ger- Geraldine Viswanathan um, and uh, <clears throat> Dacre Montgomery which uh, both Australian actors um uh, Dacre Montgomery, probably most well known for season three of Stranger Things, he plays the brother that's possessed by the um, the the creature. Or season two, I believe it is of Stranger Things, the brother that's possessed by the 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 entity from the Upside Down. And um, it's interesting because it's mostly Australian actors playing Americans. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that I appreciated most about the film. And I've seen this a couple times this year. And um, I even it, like it even feels weird for me to comment on it. But given how much racial disharmony there is in, in this country right now, and also how much race relations have changed in my lifetime, I am going to comment on it. Um, so the fact that um, the protagonist you know, first of all, it's told from the the woman's point of view, not the man's. Uh, the woman is the protagonist, um, so that was refreshing. But also the fact that she is of uh, Indian descent, uh, and it never at one point is that used as any sort of plot device or plot point. It's just you know, there's there's no explanation needed, which there shouldn't be, uh, but. You know, very rarely do we see anyone other than um, Caucasians as the protagonist in in 
mainstream films. So that was definitely nice to see that. And it focused on her relationship with uh, three of her friends and uh, three, er, two, two of her friends. So her and her two friends. Um, and it was three young women who were very different, but also very, very supportive of each other and weren't in competition with each other. So for that, it was, it was a refreshing thing. Um, it was, you know, it was a light romantic comedy that up until the last reel of the film actually defied a lot of romantic uh, comedy tropes. And, um, you know, it was fun. It was refreshing. Um, you know, having said that in, in the last half hour of the film, it went, it, it ended exactly the way I thought the film would, but it wasn't, uh, you know, I don't feel like it was a journey wasted. It was, uh, it was a pleasant enough way to spend 90 minutes and, um, having not watched a whole lot of romantic comedies, uh, lately, um, just cause it's not really my first choice for genre of films. Um, it was, it, it exceeded my expectations. I would also give a uh, broken hearts gallery a seven out of 10. Yeah, it was, uh, it was much better than I was giving it credit for. Uh, so then, let's see. I saw The Personal History of David Copperfield, which, again, I will talk about, um, you know, casting and race. Um, you know, this is this is a, a modern, or it's not modern, it's, it's set in the times that it was written in, but it's a new telling of the Charles Dickens story, uh, but it stars Dev Patel as David Copperfield, and you know Dev Patel uh, is a, is a British actor uh, of Indian descent as well, and it's never addressed in in the film. It's so, so much so it took it even a step further, and there are uh, some actors who. Uh, you know, one character in particular where his, his, he is Caucasian and his mother is played by a black woman and it's never, there's never the need felt to explain any of it. I, I'm, I'm guessing that the filmmakers just had the attitude of, well, you know, this is all make believe and all these actors are playing pretend. So why can't we, you know, if we're asking the audience to, pretend with us that these people are these people, then why do we need, why is it such a stretch for them to believe that, you know, this person is this person's mother and so on and so forth. Um, it doesn't need to be explained more than that. And, you know, I appreciated that because I wondered when I saw that Dev Patel was playing David Copperfield, I was like, Oh, I wonder if they're going to explain that. Uh, and it just wasn't, and there was no need for it. Uh, it definitely had, you know, a whimsical air to it. I be honest, I'm not a huge fan of David Copperfield. Uh, you know, it's one of Dickens most well-known pieces, but it's not one of my favorites. Um, I couldn't tell you the last, uh, the last film version that I had seen of David Copperfield. I know it's been almost 40 years since the last one came out, but, um, yeah, it was interesting. Just <clears throat> I know that it had been. It's it's one of my father's favorite um, Dickens books, and um, just couldn't for the life of me when I was watching it 
figure out what it is about this story that he appreciates. But um, nonetheless, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I I almost went in seeing it as a chore because I was just trying to see some new movies in the theater. So, um, yeah, it was it was better than I thought it would be. There's a ton of actors in it. There's just there's so many characters in the story. And that breeze by in a two hour period of time that I just, I, I'm not really invested in any of them. Uh, and it just kind of, eh, whatever. Um, it was fun to see Hugh Laurie in a, in a role other than Dr. Gregory House, which he's most known for in the United States. But, you know, he's a, he's a classically trained British actor. So, you know, it's, he's done a lot of stuff like this, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the personal history of David Copperfield. Probably don't ever need to see it again, but it was well made and they did some interesting things with sets and so on and so forth. Um, I'd give it a six out of 10. If you're a Dickens fan, I'd probably give it another, you know, maybe a seven out of 10. I'm not super precious about Charles Dickens. So that's kind of my take on it. Um, The next film I saw was unhinged, which um, it was the first new movie to open in theaters once theaters had reopened nationwide. And, uh, you know, the, the studio sort of took advantage of that. I think they, you know, they were willing to be guinea pigs with it. Um, because this, this is by all rights, this film is a very definition of a directive video film. Um, I, I just remember the weekend after it opened, it was advertised as the number one film in the world which technically was true because it was the only new movie that had opened that week. Um, uh, stars Russell Crowe. And uh, I mean, this there's, it's just a paper thin script uh, about a, just, you know, as the title implies an unhinged guy who has, it's misclassified as road rage because, it's very calculated. The stuff that he does where road rage is something that just sort of occurs when people are driving and, you know, he, he stalks a woman and her son, but you know, the opening scene shows him being vindictive to towards someone at night, which we have no idea what the backstory is. It's just letting us know that this guy is, um, you know, unhinged. Uh, I say, you know, cringing a little bit, invoking the title, but, um, and you know, Russell Crowe in this film is, is very heavy at this point. Um, uh, you know, being a big guy myself, I was actually taken aback by it cause he's, he's larger than I am at this point. And, you know, I'd say he's easily 300 to 320 pounds in this film. And at first I thought maybe it was something for the role. Um, and then I realized it wasn't, um, and it was, it was distracting at some points because, there's a few scenes where he has to move quickly or run or lunge at people. And he's visibly out of breath filming it. And it turns out he had put on some weight for another film uh, about 18 months before shooting this and just, you know, hasn't lost it since then. It was just interesting because I rewatched the film Noah uh, recently, uh, which was made a decade ago. But, you know, and the thing about rewatching Gladiator when he was obviously very, very in shape and, um, you know, Obviously, um, all humans gain weight, so on and so forth. But um, with, you know, a lot of 
big name Hollywood actors um, that have personal trainers and whatnot, where their you know one job is to to hone their their body for whatever role. I just thought it was it, it was interesting and certainly alarming to see Russell Crowe so out of shape. But it was just um, this is a horrible horrible film. Um, it's you know. Shock entertainment is the best way to describe it, but um, it just um, really, really nothing characters. And um, I left feeling crummy. Uh, It's just one of those movies that I was like, why is this coming out now? I mean, I understand because the studio is trying to make a little bit of money off of it, but it was just, you know, exploitation exploitative to the max. Um, I would give unhinged a two out of 10. Uh, seriously, I, this is just a garbage movie. Um, the next film that I saw was, uh, the new mutants, which was something that I had been looking forward to or, or been anticipating seeing for quite some time. There's a, you know, uh, a little bit of a, a, a history this film kept getting pushed back. Um, it, it, you know, they at least had some fun with it when it was finally getting released, when they finally did the final theatrical trailer for it, and they said um, August 2020, and then said in, in brackets, it said fingers crossed. Because this film was actually finished in 2017, it was supposed to be released in 2018. Then they decided they were going to focus the tone more as a horror film than a than a straight superhero film. Uh, for those who don't know, The New Mutants is a Marvel comic, um, specifically with mutants, hence the title. Um, it is part of... It, it was intended to be the next film in the 20th Century Fox X-Men franchise, which it was. It ended up being the 13th and final installment because after it was filmed, but before it was released, 20th Century Fox was acquired by Disney. And Disney um, has made the choice that, you know, they're going to fold all of the characters from 20th Century Fox films into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But they're not they're not adapting like they're not taking the current characters and just making them part of it. They're going to start over. So specifically the X-Men and Deadpool, um, whether or not the new mutants show up, that'll that'll be long down the line because this is, you know, more than 20 years into Fox's X-Men franchise. This is the first appearance of it. Um, it was slightly better than I thought it was going to be. Um, but a whole lot of nothing happens in this film. It's really setting up the characters. The events of the film are not that interesting. And there was supposed to be a post credit sequence with uh, John Hamm as Mr. Sinister showing up, but that was removed when it was decided that this would not be the beginning of a new trilogy, but actually just the last film in the Fox X-Men franchise. Uh, there's no direct connection to the X-Men. There's a, you know, a reference to them in this, but that's about it. Um, uh, it's, it stars, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and who, you know, is known from the witch and from M. Night Shyamalan's Split, and Glass, the sequel to that. Uh, but also Charlie Heaton, who is also from Stranger Things. And uh, But again, um, these actors have you know, filmed this three years ago, and 
they did the best they could with the kind of limited script. Um, what's her name? Uh, 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 no, that's not her. Um, buh, 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 buh. Sorry, I'm looking through the cast list. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Maisie Williams plays uh, uh, Rain Sinclair, who uh, is the character of Wolfsbane, uh, which is one of my favorite New Mutants. Um, just also one of my favorite mutant characters because she's she's a Scottish werewolf, basically. Uh, I don't think they actually refer to her as a werewolf in the comics, but that's what she is. Um, and it was her transformations handled kind of weird in this and. Um, it doesn't look the way that she usually looks in the comic. It's more just she's a wolf when she transforms. Um, uh, you know, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, plays Magic, uh, a.k.a. Ileana Rasputin, who's uh, she's Colossus's younger sister. And, you know, there was going to be a lot more developed with her character going forward because um, she plays a bigger role in the larger X-Men story, but obviously nothing was done with that. And then, uh, you know, Charlie Heaton plays Sam Guthrie, who's kind of a, you know, kind of a, uh, a boring character as is, um, uh, Daniel Moonstar and, uh, Bobby DeCasco. Um, uh, it was just kind of like, uh, most of the characters in it are like third tier characters and not much happened with them. So, I don't know. It was just, I also went in knowing that this was going to be a standalone film, not the next chapter in the X-Men story. So I was just kind of like, okay. And not, not enough happened in it for me to care. I just didn't like, I mean, it was a very small stakes film. It, it, it all takes place inside the confines of a school, which is actually more of a prison. And yeah, it just kind of, much ado about nothing really it's just okay so this is that and that's that um tough to recommend it it wasn't bad but uh, you know eh, it, not much to it really i'd give the new mutants a six out of ten and then lastly um so tenet uh christopher nolan's new film which um other than uh denis villeneuve's uh upcoming take on dune tenet was a film that i'm most looking i was most looking forward to this year and like i said i've seen it three times so far and i really enjoyed it it wasn't until the third time that it really started making sense to me it's it's hard to explain without giving it away although it's also really hard to give the film away at all it's it deals with time inversion not time travel per se but so there are certain scenes where things are moving backwards, people are moving backwards, people are talking backwards, and a lot of the effects were done in camera, which is very interesting. Um, it's uh, the way it was filmed. Also, a lot of the character, most of the actors, only got their scenes and didn't know the crux of the entire film. So uh, you know, John David Washington, who plays the protagonist. Um, is in pretty much every scene, but other than that, um, people pop in and out. You know, Michael Caine is in the trailer, and Michael the scene in the trailer is literally the only scene that Michael Caine is in the film. 
Um, Robert Pattinson actually has a much, much bigger role in the film than it looked like in the trailer. Um, Elizabeth Debicki uh, does a great job in it as well. I've only seen her in a few things, and this is certainly like a starring role for her. Like, hopefully, it'll be a breakout role for her. And you know, Kenneth Branagh plays a good villain. Some people, some of the reviews I've read, complain that he was like a stereotypical Bond villain, but that's basically what this film is. It's like a new version of James Bond. So I thought he did it admirably well. Um, He plays a Russian arms dealer and, uh, you know, it's convincing. Uh, You know, the last thing I'd seen Kenneth Branagh in was, um, God, not Murder on the Nile. That's the new one coming up, but, uh, uh, or, uh, Death on the Nile, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, where he plays Hercule Poirot. So that's kind of like a goofy performance from him. So it was nice to see him um, play someone sinister. Because um, I've always felt there's been like a bit of menace and danger to Kenneth Branagh. And uh, so it was kind of cool to see that used in this. Uh, but um, yeah, I like all of Christopher Nolan's films, Tenet looks beautiful. Uh, sound design's amazing. He always gets top-notch actors, and it's really well done. And if you're a fan of of Christopher Nolan, it's the closest, you know, visually and story-wise to Inception, but it's almost as... It, I'd say it's even more impenetrable than Interstellar. Um, I'm not a dumb guy by any means, and it was confusing to me... Um, I mean, I was entertained the whole time. I wasn't bored, but it really kind of, it was hard to follow it the first time. And then the second time, and then the third time I watched it, stuff became more clear, but it also kind of revealed a lot of the plot holes um, and how it wouldn't really work. But nonetheless, it was still entertaining to me. So that's how I feel about Tenet. I would give Tenet an 8 out of 10. It's a great time at the theater. Certainly something that should be seen on the big screen. I know people aren't really going to the theaters right now. Um, And for those wondering, because I've been to the theater 15 times in the last month now, um, there is literally hardly anyone there. Um, The most people that have been in a single showing of any movie with me was on opening night of Tenet. There were eight other people in the theater, you know, in a theater that seats 250 people. Um, most of the time there's one or two other people and at least half the time there's been no one else in the theaters with me when I've seen it. So um, if you want to see something but are worried about the quarantine stuff, I'd say that don't worry about it. And, you know, I know that the theater that I go to, they're cleaning all the time. So I'm I'm not worried about that aspect of it. I'm more thinking that they may close theaters down again because there's no way that they're making a profit right now. But um, yeah, Tenet. Definitely, definitely worth seeing in the theater. So that's the batch of movies I've seen over the last month or so. And uh, I hope to see more films uh, in the next month in the theater. We'll see how that goes. Thank you, as always, for listening.